Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. This is podcast number 33. My name is Cam Connor along with my son Chris Connor. And welcome back, everyone. Uh, so normally we record on the weekend, but Dad, you have a weekend of fishing in British Columbia coming up. So this could be a quick one, but sometimes we say that and those end up being the longest episodes that we record. So we'll see. Before we get started, we wanted to thank everyone for following Dad on Twitter, Cam Connor NHL, uh, visiting the website, viewfromthepenaltybox.com. You're on Facebook and Instagram. And thank you for the iTunes and Spotify reviews. They really help. We read them. helps motivate us to, to keep plugging along with the podcasts that we, we do enjoy recording. So as of right now, there's one game down in the Stanley Cup Finals. And so you'll talk about that. And you'll talk about a few hirings in the NHL and the Oilers, the New York Rangers. But first, why don't we talk about, and if you haven't seen Dad's Twitter, you posted your Rangers hockey bag and your shoulder pads from like 1980, and they actually got a lot of attention. So you still wear those those vintage shoulder pads. So why do you still wear them, and what were people saying about them? Well, the reason I still wear them is because I'm too cheap to go buy some brand new equipment. When I look at even the cost of a hockey stick out there, like that's scary. I know when I was younger, everybody, when there's only six teams in the NHL, and they used a stick called Northlands Pro. And that was the stick everybody had in the NHL. So there was a few guys on our team, you know, as a kid, that would have these sticks, and I'd ask my dad, Dad, could I get it to Northland? No, they're too expensive. I'll never forget, he would not spend any money on it. So forget about the $200, $300, $400 hockey sticks they have today. When I was back in Winnipeg at my parents' house in the basement, there was that old Northlands Pro. And don't ask me how it survived, but there was a price tag written on the shaft, and the price was $4.98. And there was absolutely no way my dad was going to buy me one of those sticks. Well, I must have warmed down a couple of years go by, and he brought home one of the Northlands Pros. I was so excited. But you could tell he didn't want me to break it because it was the thickest blade you ever saw on a hockey stick. With hockey sticks, they should be a balanced feeling, and the blade can't be that fat because you don't you can't feel the puck very well. But this stick, that's probably why it's still around today, because it was it was as thick as a goldie stick. But anyways, I loved it, and uh, I still got it. But yeah, so I have those shoulder pads for that same reason. I'm just not paying whatever they want. I know they're better shoulder pads today and more protection. But I'm in a league, you know, when I play, it's no hit, no slap shot. And you're out there more for the camaraderie. When the game's over, you really you try your sort of your best. But when it's over, you don't really care if you won or lost, right? So the equipment I have, when your career is over, the NHL teams, at least they did with the Rangers, they just give you your equipment and a and a and a 
and a bag and send you on your way. So I have all that old equipment. And when I sit in a dressing room and I see what the other people are putting on, a lot nicer looking than mine. And the hockey pants I have, the Ranger hockey pants, they are so friggin' heavy as compared to, you know, there was a lot of protection and you needed that protection when you're playing with the big boys. But when I look at some of the other pads that these other players in the different leagues are playing with, they're, they're just so much superior, lighter, and offer just as much protection, if not more. So I just won't spend the money. My career is not on the upswing. It's kind of over the hill. So I tell myself, like, why do I, why do I need a new pair of shoulder pads? And you were surprised that people were telling you that they were actually worth something and to, to hang on to them. So I guess your, your cheapness worked out and you're making some money. Uh, make some money. So anybody that wants to buy my old shoulder pads, they're for sale. And I also, before the podcast started, I really do believe, you know, when I played with Houston Arrows and the team folded and uh, they gave us some of our equipment. And, and I honestly believe I still have in one of my bags uh old pair of shoulder pads that I got with the Houston Arrows and it has number nine on it. I believe these these were Gordia Houses. Nobody else on the Houston Arrows that was number nine. So hopefully I haven't lost those. And those are for sale as well. I don't think they're really for sale. So <laughs> They're for sale. <laughs> so another interesting thing that uh, you came across is on Survivor next season, there's one of your New York Ranger, I guess you'd say, buddies from back when you played, Tom Laidlaw. And I know when you're competing on the show before it airs, you're not supposed to talk about it. So he hasn't said a thing to you. But uh, the show showed him in the preview for when the episode or the series airs in September. And this is the first year they're letting Canadians. So I'm guessing he's probably a dual citizen by now, but he was born in Canada. Uh, so from what you know of Tom and what you know of the, the Survivor show... How do you think he's going to do? Well, you're right, Chris. Uh, Tom lives in New York. Uh, he, he was born in Canada, but he's probably, you know, got a green card and he's eligible to uh, compete in the American version of the Survivor. With Tom, from probably two months ago, I talked to Dave Maloney, the ex-captain of, of uh, the Rangers. He was there for many, many years. And he stays in touch with Tom. And he said, Tom is like a workout fanatic. He's up at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning going for runs. He's on the weights all the time. And when you look at, there's a kind of a upper body shot they show off Tom. Whew, that guy, um, he's probably about 60, I'm going to say. Somewhere around there. And boy, is that guy in good physical shape. He, in my, from my memory, he looks more defined, just a little bit that I saw of his upper body, than even when he played the game. Um, and he's a lot older, but he takes care of himself, so I'm going to have to stay away from him because I don't look so good next to Tom. Yeah, so uh, we're excited to see how he does in September. We're, we'll report back then and give maybe an, an update on your thoughts, and hopefully he lasts and wins the million dollars. So... I guess last week, or yeah, I believe it was last week, you had the people from A&E and WWE who, were, who are doing a documentary on Roddy Piper, and 
you were thinking that they'd probably come in a couple months, and then you found out that they're coming in a couple weeks. And I had the opportunity to sit in, and it probably lasted, the setup took a while, but the actual interview probably took about an hour and a half. And I thought you did a really good job. So what were your thoughts, and how did it feel to bring back the memories of when you were 15, 20, and then ultimately his passing? Well, you know, it was honestly a real honor to be have A&E fly from New Jersey with the TV crew and uh, and set up at our office in the boardroom. You know, they interviewed me over the phone for over an hour and saying, well, we were told by Rod's family you were his good friend growing up, etc., etc. And so they started asking me stories. So I started telling them about everything from how we first met, uh, hitchhiking from Winnipeg to Toronto, which is about a three-day car ride. And and I, I told the A&E guys, said, do not ever hitchhike with a guy learning how to play the mouth organ. And so Rod didn't know how to play the mouth organ, and we're standing on the side of the road, and all day for three to four days he was playing the mouth organ. It sounded awful, and he's awful lucky I couldn't beat him up because I would have thrown that thing away. Is a mouth organ the same thing as a harmonica? <laughs> okay, I would say it's the same thing. I don't know. You can call it whatever you want. But uh, so, you know, it was when I told my stories to A&E over the, the, to the producer over the phone, he just laughed and he said, these are great. We got to come out there in a couple months. And then the next thing you know, two weeks later, he said, well, we're going to be you know, coming up there, and uh, we got to talk to Bret Hart and see when he can see us because they want to talk to him. They're going to talk to Jesse Ventura. They're going to talk to Ric Flair and others about Rod, and there's going to be a two-hour special. So, you know, we 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 talked about right from childhood when we first met. It was kind of good for my soul to remember some things about Rod and to talk about my friend and talk about really what this guy did for me in my life how in all honesty he I I'm not anything great now but I'm a lot better person as I got older in life I, I had a quick temper growing up for various reasons and I'm still get upset probably easier than I should but I'm, I'm a way better person than I was and and I gotta thank people in my life that I've learned from just to relax and uh, just calm down and Rod was one of those guys so after talking to A&E for about an hour and a half on camera, and, you know, I kind of was summing up my experiences Rod, with Rod. I'm, I'm tough on the outside, but I'm a little bit soft on the inside, and I got a little choked up that I had to kind of stop talking. It, it, you know, I miss my friend, and uh, what I'm really pleased about is, you know, in this world, there are so many people out there that could be nice to somebody that could do something for you. I see it all the time, you know, and, and it does, it's just not right. I think you got to be nice to everybody, especially the people that need a little pat on the back. And so Rod taught me all that and how to treat people better. So I, 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 I was Rod's friend before he ever became Roddy Piper. And I'm really proud of that because Rod knew I wasn't his buddy because he was Rowdy Roddy Piper. We we go back when neither one of us could do anything for each other. That's the best kind of friendship. And I, I, I really miss 
hearing from Rod. He'd phone and text him. And I know, Chris, he would text you as well. And uh, I think you probably got the last text that ever from Rod. You know, I think a matter of hours before he passed away. And so that was quite an honor that he also took you under his wing as well. Just to learn from both of our experiences, back up your phones. We both lost our text messages when our phones died separately. So we no longer have the proof of what he wrote, but we remember, right? Um, So we're going to talk a little bit more about, get back into some hockey. So you're going to talk about the Stanley Cup what your thoughts are it's the finals we're going to answer a few questions that came in and some comments and uh, then you're going to talk about uh dave tippett and john davidson to end the show today so dad what are your thoughts on the stanley cup finals well if i could back it up a bit chris you know before the season even started i said tampa bay is going to win the stanley cup and boy after the regular season if i'm not mistaken they were 10 points ahead of the closest team behind them. And I said, oh, it looks like I got lucky. I, I predicted who's going to win the cup, and bang, they lost the first round. So I had to reevaluate who's in there, and I picked St. Louis Blues for, you know, reasons in my mind. I just thought there was a lot they brought to the table that is important in the playoff-type hockey. Now, they're playing the Bruins, and... St. Louis, they're in Boston, and when I was watching the game, they're up 2 nothing, and I'm saying, look at this, look at this. They're going to pull it off, because when you are playing hockey, probably any other sport, when you go on the road, particularly a playoff game, there's back-to-back home games, you know, when you travel on the road, there's two games played in the other guy's rink. So, because Boston had a better record, the first two games were in Boston. Your game plan is when you go into these two games in the other guy's rink, you got to walk out with one win. If you walk out with one win, you accomplish what you set out to do. You walked out 500. And so to win that first game there, that takes a lot of pressure off of St. Louis and a lot more pressure on Boston that they better win the second home game. Well, Boston, as we all know now, they... Made it 2-1, 2-2, 3-2, and then they got an empty net goal, 4-2. So St. Louis was close, but it's the final score that counts. Now they play again. This is Tuesday. They play on Wednesday back in Boston. And Boston is not an easy place to play. The fans, they love their Bruins. The Bruins love being playing for the Boston Bruins. They love the city. They love their fans. And they are one good hockey team. So it's going to be tough for St. Louis, but they got to win that game. They got to win tomorrow night. Now, if they don't, they go back to St. Louis. If they can win both their games in St. Louis, it says. Now the series is tied 2-2. Now it's the best out of three. And I'll go back. You got to win one game in that other team's in their, in their rink. So that's their goal. They didn't accomplish it last night. They were close, but that doesn't count. So they're going to go back tomorrow night, and they got to they gotta do it. They got outshot almost 2-1. to one. St. Louis got outshot almost 2-1. to one. Um, So Boston, they're putting a lot of pressure on in their own rink. And uh, that goalie's making some good saves and stopping that puck. They also had hit two goalposts. 
But it's going to be really tough for St. Louis to win Wednesday night. Just because I picked them, I, I wish them all the luck in the world. But at the end of the day, it's the best team that's going to win the Stanley Cup. And so just, just to go back, when I played in the Stanley Cup with Montreal, we took on the New York Rangers. And the Rangers pulled an upset. They beat the, the New York Islanders. And um, it was kind of funny how that worked. Because New York Islanders, they were a good team before they started that dynasty. They could beat us. They had one more point at the end of the year. We finished second in the league. They finished first. And when we played them, they won more games than they lost against us. And I know I personally did not want to play the Islanders in the playoffs that year. Well, the Rangers, we knew we could beat the Rangers, but the Rangers could beat the Islanders. It's kind of funny how that works. And so, sure enough, the Rangers, they beat the Islanders. And we were so happy we didn't have to take on the Islanders. And so, when the Rangers came in, the first game was in Montreal. We were confident we were going to beat them. The Rangers beat us 4-1 to one in Montreal. We were holy cow. They won that first game, like I talked about. You want to win one game out of the two and the other teams, well... We, we beat them the second game, we beat them the third game, we beat them the fourth game, and we won the Stanley Cup in Montreal. So, at the end of the day, the best team won. So, are you still predicting St. Louis for the Cup? You know what, I gotta I got stick with them. They're, they're a good team. They're, you know, watching that game last night, there's just something the... The Bruins are playing good hockey every single series I watched positional play in their own end, in the other team's end. They move that puck around so well, defensively in their own end. They're doing the right things out there. Guys are blocking pucks. Like, they're playing good hockey. Do I think St. Louis is going to win now? No. But I picked them, so I got to stick with them. Okay, so we have a few questions. Um, The first one is, Really long, so I won't read the whole email, but we do appreciate it. Uh, It says, Hi, Cam and Chris. I just discovered your podcast, and I'm loving it. Slowly working my way through all the episodes. Uh, He has a few questions for you, and it's mostly about Dennis Sobchak, uh, that you, you played with him in Phoenix and against him when he was with Cincinnati and Edmonton. Do you have any stories about him to share? And maybe for the people that don't know who he is, you can let us know about Dennis Sobchak. So, I'm sure most people don't know who Dennis Sobchak is. Um, Dennis was, uh, I think it was 18 years old when the world hockey first came around. And I'm going to use about 72, I want to say. There was a team called Cincinnati Stingers. And so they bought into the world hockey, but they weren't going to have a team around for two or three years. And they already went out and they signed the best junior hockey player in Canada. And in their minds, that was Dennis Sopchuk. So I'm going to say he was 18 years old and um, he was already signed by a, a professional hockey team. They wanted him bad on the team. And Sopchuk, he was a skinny guy. He was tall. Very likable guy. Like when you play against somebody, you don't like him. And if I'm not mistaken, he played uh, for Regina Pats with Clark Gillies on that team. And uh, they had had a really good hockey team. So Dennis 
he like he could score, he could fly. He, he was a powerhouse in junior. So because the NHL since excuse me the World Hockey Team Cincinnati Stingers wasn't quite ready when he graduated junior. He came to Phoenix Roadrunners and he played with us along with a guy named John Hughes, uh, who's uh, believed that John was also signed. He was out of OHL, signed by Cincinnati Stingers, but they didn't have a club to play for, so they stuck him in Phoenix. And and our coach loved, even though he wasn't our property, like I still remember Sandy Huckle, and everybody knows what I think about that gentleman. He sat me on the bench, and I was number five in the NHL draft. And he gave Sobchuk so much ice time, so much ice, and he had nothing but confidence. And Dennis, nothing against him, you know, but usually you try to develop your own players and not somebody else's. So anyway, so Sobby, he played that year with us. He did very well. He got lots of ice time, and again, Dennis had confidence in his ability but for some reason, as Dennis moved farther down the ladder in his professional career, he, his and please, uh, you know, Google him and just see him. So he played, I'm going to just pull it out of the air, I think about four years of professional hockey. And that was it. That's as far as he went from a guy at 18 that the can't miss player. I don't know. I talk a lot about confidence and you got to believe in yourself. That doesn't mean you have to walk around and brag, and I'm the toughest, and I'm the best, and nobody skates fast. That's not what that means. That's an inner confidence that you know you're good. You don't have to talk about it. You just show it on the ice. Guy Lafleur had that ability. Guy, you never, ever, ever hear him brag about himself, talk about hockey, ever. He just wouldn't do that. And it's like my father told me, he, when I was bragging as a kid, he said, Cam, you got to stop bragging because if you are truly good at something, other people will brag for you. And I've tried to remember that. Um, I really have. And my dad was 100% right. And I look at LeFleur, I look at Gordie Howe, I look at Wayne Gretzky. Some of these great players, they never blow their own horn. And, um, and so... They just know you're not going to intimidate them on the ice. They're not taking a step backwards, and they're going to give you every shift 150%. They know they're good, and they know they can make a difference, and they know the team depends on them. They got a lot of personal pride. And so, you know, Dennis had that coming in. But again, when you get to the top levels, it's it's hard to make it. It's even harder to stay up there. It really is. And so... I, I, I know I didn't have the confidence that I really should have had in my abilities, in hindsight, anyways. And I, I got to believe that's with Sabi because he had the ability, man. That guy could skate like the wind. and uh, But when we played, it was rough hockey, rough hockey. He would do really well today because there's some guys when it is rough, you know. And I remember some Swedes in, in practice. Holy cow, when I played with the Rangers. Holy cow, the stuff they could do with the puck and their skating abilities. We were just dumbfounded. We just couldn't believe how good these guys were. But when the game started and there was hitting and it got rough, we didn't even know they were on our team. And so, you know, maybe. And I'm not knocking Saw because I love the man. He's a really a happy, really a good person. But maybe... You know, maybe it just wasn't his style. Today, 
you know, there's body checks, but man, you can't do anywhere close to what we used to do and not get penalties. So, you know, Dennis Sopchuk was a, a great guy, a good, good hockey player. I just believe he finished a little too early, his career a little too early, maybe just because he lost confidence in what he could do best. Okay, so we have actually a really nice email that was sent to you, and I guess it's nice because it talks a little bit about a memory of you and a story. So he writes, I saw a retweet a retweet of yours on Hockey Fight History today. I grew up in New York, an avid Rangers fan. One year, my dad took me to Rye Playland to watch an open Rangers practice. It was jam-packed with fans. Near the end of practice, you and some other Rangers were giving out pucks to fans. While I wasn't lucky enough to get one, I did manage to get your stick as you were heading to the locker room. Honestly, I don't think you planned to give it to me, but I kind of took it anyways. I pulled it over the glass and showed my dad, who was sitting in amazement in the balcony section. I think I was the only kid that day to get a stick from a Ranger. I still have that stick today somewhere in our garage, but the memory is fresh in my mind. It's funny what we remember in life. Thanks for making such an impression on me that day. Continued good luck and good health to you going forward. Warm regards, Paul. You know, Chris, when you read that, you know, that does my heart a lot of good. You know, I always, and I've learned, I keep saying, I've learned from other people, and I see how Gordy Howe was so sincere with children and young guys. And uh, I think we're ambassadors to the game of hockey. And I think this is, it's not in your contract you got to do this. I think it should be. You know, we're ambassadors, and you got to, you got to be a good person to all the fans out there that that look up to you. I I really believe that that's that should be in the contract that you got to be a good person with these kids and give them that time. And so, you know, I wasn't anything any better than anybody else, but it does my heart a lot of good when you give a puck to some young child. If you give them a hockey stick, if you give them a pat on the head and talk to them for a couple minutes and ask how they're doing. You don't know, you know, that you just made that little guy's day. And, you know, maybe some have forgot about it, but others, just like Paul, I believe his name was, he still remembers it to this day. And I really feel glad that I was able to do something positive for the young guy that, uh, you know, he thinks that myself and other hockey players are pretty good guys. And I think that's the way it should be. I have one quick story while we're talking about that, and I won't name names, but when I was with the Rangers, we had a game in Hartford, and our farm team was in New Haven, Connecticut. And so between New York City and Hartford, Connecticut, is New Haven, Connecticut. And so we, as the Rangers, were going to Hartford, but we stopped in because our farm team, New Haven Nighthawks, was having a game. So we sat in the stands, all over the stands, and behind me, there was a, a lady and a young boy, and I could hear them talking. And the, the, the little boy would, would say, Mom, that's so-and-so of the Rangers over there. I want to go ask for his autograph. And she said, no, he's watching the game. You just let him watch the game. And when the intermission, you can go talk to him and see if he'll give you the autograph. And, you know, I, I, I kind of was getting a kick out of hearing this. I don't think he knew who I was. I was sitting just in front of him. And when the period came, the mother was so polite, you wait. And I saw this hockey player that I played with. And the little boy, he, he, he went, was all excited. 
And the player said, not now, I'm busy. And he took off. And man, that pissed me right off that he would do that. And I know if I didn't, I got sent to the farm team not too much later. But I remember, I'm going to go after this guy in practice. Like, that is so rude to do that to a child. I, I just think you got to do that. You, it's not even, well, I'm too busy. You you got to do it. You're in a position. You've been dealt some good cards in life. You got to pass it on to the kids. Make them feel special. And, um, you know, maybe this is something that they'll just do to other kids if they're ever in a position where they're, you know, a politician or whatever they're going to be to be nice to people and just be nice because that's the right thing to do. So that, that pissed me off. So when I hear this story that this guy still remembers the, what he considers maybe an act of kindness, that makes me feel so good that I did that. So thanks, Chris. Okay. And our last question was actually sent to you on Instagram. And it's, uh, it says, Hi, guys. Love the show. You make my hour-long work commute go so quick. Please keep up the stories. I've been a Rangers fan since 1980 and remember you from my hockey cards. So cool to hear the behind the scenes from that era, especially from the WHA. As a big time Messier and Gretzky fan, my son and I are taking a trip to Edmonton next season to see the Oilers in person. Could you give some tips on must-see Oilers related sites? Thank you so much for sharing. P.S. I understand the Trans Am car thing. I own two myself. The 78 is one of my favorites. Best wishes, Mike. Well, Mike, the only thing I would say, you got to see the new arena that they have there. When I call it new, it's probably, I don't know, time flies, life flies. You know, I'm going to say it's probably three years old now. But uh, there is not another one like it. So I would say, number one, go to a game, get there as early as you can and walk around that arena. It is it is second to none. Um, when I go there, I go sometimes in the press box. I'm eight floors up. It's unbelievable. So when you do when you do come, you know what? If you let me know you're coming, you're coming all the way from New Jersey. I did some research and uh, I googled your area code. If you're if you're wondering how we know where you're coming we're, from, <laughs> we're spying on you. You know, if I'm at the game. I could probably get you into the alumni room for a little period. So you can come up to the Oilers alumni room with me with a little bit of notice because i got to get you a pass. But, you know, when we talk about bubblegum cards, you know, that's kind of funny because when I played for the Rangers, I think I've got five bubblegum cards that are out there. You know, it's all the star players get all the mail in the draft. I got my share, but, you know, I wasn't a star player. We had... Star players that would get so much friggin' mail that they had trouble even open. They would pay guys to open it for them. So with me, somebody must have figured out I probably didn't get as much as the other guys. So I just got some mail and I'm opening it up in the dressing room. And then this card said, Cam, you know, you're my favorite player. I really like you a lot. And you think you can get me Ron Duguay's autograph? I started laughing. I said, look at that. They're coming in the back door. They give me a pat in the back, and uh, they want me to go over and get Ron Duguay's autograph for him. So, and I think one of my bubblegum cards also has, the, you know, the, when they get a picture of me on there and they show a little bit about my stats, but then they talk about Ron Duguay on the side of it. So that's pretty freaking weird. We'll have to find which hockey card that is that mentions him. It's a little embarrassing, mind you. <laughs> well, it also talks about there's one of your hockey cards with a big figure skate on the back too as a 
as a, I guess a, a did you know that you took figure skating lessons to improve your your skating, which we talked about on another episode. If you want to hear that, so why don't we talk about the announcement that the Oilers have a new head coach, Dave Tippett, who I don't think you played against, but maybe you did. But I know that you're aware of him and his career. So do you want to talk about your thoughts on Tippett as the new coach? I can't say I know a lot about Tippett. What I did know is I followed him when he coached the Arizona team. And that team, for years and years, they struggled with the payroll. They weren't drawing any fans. And their teams were just average at best. Then Tippett came along. And again, you know, they had maybe one or two really good players. But but because they couldn't afford the salaries, they would always trade a lot of their good players for younger players. And where I'm going with this is, is Dave Tippett. He seemed to do so well with what he had in front of him. So I'm saying to myself, you know what? Maybe he's like Herb Brooks. Herb Brooks could stand up in a dressing room, and he would talk to you. And I remember, I could hardly wait to get on the ice. That guy had me so fired up. And that's the kind of coach that I love, is those guys. And, you know, I've talked before. There's coaches that say, well, they make millions of dollars, and they should be able, I don't have to get them fired. They should be able to do it themselves. As I said before, those coaches they say that because they don't have the ability to get somebody pumped up. They don't have it in their personality. So they turn it around and they blame it on the players. If a coach can get your players at another level by getting them pumped up, by getting them enthusiastic, it's a long season. You need all that help. And so when I look at Dave Tippett, maybe that's the ability he's got. Is he brings the best out of them? Maybe he's a great talker in the dressing room and the, he gets these guys motivated. I've been reading recently where they said that, you know, Dave, is, he did a lot of his wins because he's a defensive coach. I'm not a big fan of defensive coach. Now, you know, maybe somebody has to define that for me. But if I was to ever to be a coach, Basically, you know, when you got guys that know how to score goals, you don't want to t- turn them into defensive players. As a coach, what you have to do is you have to make sure that when the puck is in your team's end, each guy knows what their responsibility is in your own end. The centerman has one thing he's got to do to back up the, you know, the, the defenseman in the corners, and he helps out in the front of the net. The wingers make sure, you know, that the, the defensemen aren't sneaking in and getting shots. And everybody's got to have, a, you know, a job to do in their own end. When everybody knows their job, when you don't have the puck in your own end, it makes it so much easier to win hockey games. And with these guys that know how to score, don't take that away from them and make them more defensive-minded like Sandy Huckle told us when the puck went into the other team's end, unless you had a 90 or 95% chance of getting the puck, just peel off and pick up your winger. That is the most boring game. Hockey is an exciting game. And as a coach, you have a duty, I believe, to sell the game of hockey. Create more fans out there. And don't just be defensive because it's good because you're going to win a hockey game. So with Dave, I, I hope when we say defensive, that he he wants to just teach them how to play without the puck. 
And when you get the puck, do whatever you got to do. Whatever comes natural, goal score some goals. And so that is what I'm hoping that Dave, when they talk about him being a defensive-minded coach, I just hope they don't take that spirit away from these guys to go and play a game of hockey and put on a show for the fans. You know, I wasn't a fan of Dallas Eakin for various reasons. We can go into another show for that. But I, I do believe, based upon my feeling for Dave Tippett in Arizona, I think he's probably going to be turning these boys in the right direction. Okay, we shall see. I know the city's excited to see if he is the one who can finally turn the team around. So I guess the last topic that we'll cover is someone that used to be your roommate back when you played for the Rangers and was your teammate and is now the new president of the New York Rangers, John Davidson. So do you have any thoughts on him becoming the president and taking over from your old coach, Glenn Saylor? If you know John Davidson, John has that ability, even his tone of voice, and he's, he has a quick laugh. He, when he's around people, everybody likes John Davidson. Everybody calls him JD. He just has that natural ability for people to like him. And so when he got out of hockey, I don't think he had to look, say, what am I going to do for a living? I just think the opportunities came to him because he could always talk. And he didn't have any more hockey knowledge than anybody else that played the game. But he had a personality and he was able to deliver his thoughts very clearly. And he spoke like he knew what he's talking about. So he went from a color commentator where he watched a lot of games, got to think about things. Then somebody from Madison Square Gardens um, had some money and went over to St. Louis Blues. And they said, John Davidson, man, he'd be a good president. So they gave John the job over there. I don't know how long he lasted, but they parted ways. Then he went to Columbus. And, um, you know, when you get that Ranger top job, that's a real compliment to me. The really president. You're not talking. It's a compliment to get into that organization. Even if, you know, you're just working behind the scenes. That's a compliment. There's a lot of pressure in New York. Glenn Sather was there for many, many years. You know, I personally like Glenn. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that didn't like Glenn. And there's probably a lot of people that don't like me and don't like whoever. And that's just the way life is. With John Davison, he's going in there. The fans love John Davison. He played a long, all his career there. And so they just remember John and they love John. Now John's got that job and it's a good thing he didn't go from commentator for Madison Square Garden Network to president of New York Rangers. Because John has learned a lot being president of two other clubs before he got here to the Ranger organization. If he would have gone from broadcaster president of Madison Square of, of New York Rangers, that would have been one tough, tough jump for him. But he's had he's almost been like a president in training. Now he comes back to Madison Square Gardens to the New York Rangers with a lot more experience behind him. And I believe John is gonna surround himself with good people. And uh, I I predict that John is gonna earn his paycheck. And he's going to win the respect of fans and, and uh, put a good team together. I, re I really do believe that. 
So I guess this wasn't that short of a of an episode, but I think it was a pretty good one. We covered a lot of topics, and you leave tomorrow uh, to go to work out of town, and then on the weekend you are fishing in British Columbia. So you're looking forward to that. You haven't done that for a while. Uh, you know, fishing is what calms me down. I, even if I don't catch any fish, I love being on the water. I'm going with a good friend, and I'm, I'm excited to go. I don't know about you people that follow me on Twitter, because if I catch any big fish, you know you're going to see a bunch of fish pictures up there for sure. But, you know, I hope to catch you. We're not going in the ocean this time. We're going to go on a lake in British Columbia. Hopefully you got some uh, some fish in that lake. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to going, and uh, it, it'll be an awful lot of fun. And I apologize if I've talked too long today. Just one thing led to another, and uh, I appreciate you listening. Okay, well, we'll... See you on the next episode if you did catch any fish. And we'll talk about the Stanley Cup being awarded because we won't have another episode until then. So uh, make sure you subscribe and we appreciate your reviews. And until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. Thank you.